This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Danny Parkin Show. Three hours down, one to go. Thanks for hanging out on the Danny Parkin Show. Coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studio. Millions of Americans finance the home of their dreams with their help. They can help you too. Rocket Mortgage, push button, get mortgage. I am at Danny Parkins on Twitter. 855-212-4227 is how you get in touch with the show. I gave you all my big thoughts and takeaways from this week of games. The overriding emotion is how young quarterbacks are able to have success sooner than ever. And it's not just the high pedigree guys and what that should mean when you're talking about your team and your quarterback on a rookie deal and when you are or are not willing to move on from that player. Because... The game's changed. Coaches have adapted. They're building their system around their player as opposed to putting the player into their system. It's a novel concept, I know. But it's resulting in some pretty miraculous and eh, miraculous is the wrong word because we know the explanation for it. Marvelous quarterback play. I thought Lamar Jackson v. Pat Mahomes today was a glimpse into the future. Even though I didn't think either of them had an A game. And there were multiple passes that should have been intercepted. It was just, you could tell. We were watching the future. I don't know if Mason Rudolph is the future at Pittsburgh, at quarterback for Pittsburgh. But what I do know is they are in big, big trouble. If they don't win at home next week against Cincinnati, it's going to get really, really ugly because the Bengals look terrible they don't look as bad as Miami and maybe not as bad as the Raiders but they are a bottom five type of team if Pittsburgh can't figure out a way to win at home against the Bengals next week they will have just traded a for sure top 10 pick to the Dolphins without having their quarterback of the future for seemingly no reason even though Minka Fitzpatrick's awesome Loved him coming out of college, had a fumble recovery, a forced fumble, interception, all in the first half of his first game with the Steelers. But you've got to do good self-scouting if you're trading first-round picks. And if you scouted yourself to be an eight- or nine-win team with Mason Rudolph and you can't win in San Francisco when you get five turnovers and two broken play touchdowns, Steelers, I think it could I think it could get really ugly in Pittsburgh, and I think it could get ugly in Carolina with Kyle Allen balling out and making those receivers more and Samuel look like they did, albeit against Arizona. I love Cam Newton, but he has not had the big play downfield passing attack moving 
like Kyle Allen did easily in that game. There's no QB controversy in Carolina yet, but they're a game or two away with more performances like that of having some big, big problems. We'll get back to the phones and your top takeaways from week three in a minute, 855-212-4227. But a lot of people will be asking what next for Antonio Brown uh, in a legal sense, in an NFL sense, in a fantasy football sense. And I just say, you can drop him because that dude is done out here. Because here's what he did that he hadn't done before. There's the report on ESPN that a source close to the Patriots said it was the text messages to the accuser that put them over the edge. You can believe that if you want. But what he did was he embarrassed someone else. Everything else that he had been doing was an embarrassment to him. The cryo chamber stuff, the helmet stuff, the stage social media stuff. That was an embarrassment to Antonio Brown. And he couldn't tell if people were laughing with him or at him. But once those allegations come out and it's tied to the Patriots and Belichick is getting the questions ad nauseum and the Boston media was not going to stop. And then he goes through that tweet storm today calling out the NFLPA, calling out Ben Roethlisberger, calling out the Patriots, calling out Robert Kraft. Now you've embarrassed other people. Now you got Shannon Sharp talking about, hey, don't put my name in your mouth and those fake allegations that happened to him back in the day. And they actually were fake. And the the woman got arrested because it was like an extortion attempt on something. He wouldn't date her. So he sent out the news release story. Crazy story. But all of a sudden, now you got one source telling Adam Schefter that Robert Kraft, even if they lose the grievance, he will never write that $9 million check to Antonio Brown because he brought up the massage parlor. That's what's changed. What's changed is now Antonio Brown didn't just get released by the Raiders. He didn't just get released by the Patriots. He embarrassed other people. So if he's willing to go at Robert Kraft, why is any other owner who assuredly has some dirt? Like, So say you're Jerry Jones. You want to risk Antonio Brown sending out those pictures of you from the hotel room after too much Johnny Walker Blue? If you're Haslam in Cleveland, you want him asking questions about the business dealings? You know, all these owners have a headline here. Jim Ursay, all of them have a headline here or there. He's a loose cannon, obviously. But prior to this, he had been a loose cannon to himself in terms of the embarrassment side. But now that he went on an owner and he went in his union, who's touching him? Nobody. My guess is the NFL drags its feet on the Antonio Brown investigation so that any team that would be interested in signing him has it hanging over their head that he could be put on the commissioner exempt list at any time because he can't be put on the exempt list. He's not on a roster. So my guess is Antonio Brown never plays football again, which is a shame for those of us who love watching Antonio Brown play football, but he did it to himself. 
So while he'll still be active on social media and he'll still give interviews and he'll still try to keep his name in the news, you got to be a football player. And if you're not going to be a football player, that's fine. You can be a social media star and an influencer and all that sort of thing, but you're going to have a different type of audience. You had leading sports center, leading PTI, leading first take type of audience when you were still a football player. If you're not a football player anymore and you're just a social media influencer, you'll have influence on social media. You'll get your Instagram likes. You'll get your page views. You'll get your retweets. Maybe you'll get your TMZ article. Maybe you'll get your Us Weekly blurb. But your days of being relevant as a football player, I think, are over. Because now people know not only is he going to embarrass himself, he's going to potentially embarrass me. And that you can't put a price on for these owners. So I think that's what happened. So I will be shocked if AB plays again. Certainly not this year. Maybe in the future. If a lot of things change and his legal system, uh, legal situation gets cleared up. If a lot of things change, it could happen in the future. But this year, nah. The NFL is done with him overshadowing their 100th season. They're not interested. They're going to drag their feet on this. 855-212-4227. Let's go to Baltimore and welcome Troy to CBS Sports Radio. What's up, Troy? Thanks for calling. Hey, Danny. How you doing today, man? Good, man. How are you? Good, good. Hey, I wanted to touch on that point you were talking about as far as uh... – and your team uh, need to move on from a mediocre quarterback. And uh, if you got a, a young quarterback, you draft it. Put him out sure. there to see what you got. Uh, I'm a Bronco fan, man. I've been a Bronco fan since um, John Elway played in Shannon Sharp. It's, uh, it's time to move on from Joe Flacco. And it's time for us to see what we got in uh, Drew Locke. Um, we've been dealing with mediocre quarterback play for a couple of seasons now. And we're 0-3 now. So it's nothing else to see. You've been seeing all you need to see in Joe Flacco. It's time to see what we got in Drew Locke, man. That is a perfect example. That is a perfect, perfect example, Troy. I don't know when they'll do it, but they should do it soon. As soon as they think that Drew Locke is mentally capable of running the offense, and by that I just mean he knows the verbiage, he can get him in and out of the huddle, there's not going to be three false starts or illegal procedures a quarter. You know, it's not going to be an embarrassment. You play him. Emmanuel Sanders had a great quote today at 0-3 that they've entered a world of suck. Yeah, that's what happens. And Flacco's not the problem. Chubb and Miller still haven't gotten a sack on the year. I don't think Denver, I know coming in, Denver hasn't, forced a turnover this year with Vic Fangio. Yeah, still haven't forced a turnover. So it's not all on Flacco. Vic Fangio's got to get that defense in order, but that's a good example. You drafted a young quarterback. You're not changing coaches anytime soon, so the system that he will run whenever he gets his shot is in place. You're 0-3. So you're more than 90% to miss the playoffs. And in that division, it's even worse because you got the Chiefs and the Chargers. So, yeah, Broncos season is over. You absolutely may as well play Drew Locke.
Maybe it won't be week four and it'll be week six, but that's coming absolutely to a mile high stadium near you. George in Louisiana is on CBS Sports Radio and Radio.com. George, thanks for calling. Hey, Danny, what's going on? First time listener, uh, driving back to college. Great show, by the way. Um, Thank you. Um, just like talking about the quarterback thing, and then you mentioned Antonio Brown, so I just want to say one thing on that. Uh, XFL, here we come with Antonio Brown. Um, That's in play. And, and, yeah, I Antonio Brown to the XFL. Don't don't remember it. Just remember it. But uh, personally, I think as a, being from Louisiana, watching Jameis, he's done, and I think he's caused Tampa to go through more coaches than they should have. And I agree with the caller from Georgia, like I don't know about a couple callers ago. Mariota in Tennessee, I think it's an organizational thing. I don't think it's on Mariota on his own. Of course, he's on his fifth year right now, and if they're willing to give him the money, that's good, but I don't think they have a team. They're, they're not building a team around him. Marcus has a good head on his shoulders. I think he could be a decent quarterback. He's got a couple of playoff appearances because of that, you know. But uh, James in Tampa, I think Tampa needs to move on. It's, it's over down there. Yeah, and they just changed coaches. I appreciate the call, George. So, obviously, Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich will be making that call uh, at the end of the year, and if he keeps throwing a bunch of picks, it might even happen uh, midseason this year. I remember when the Bears paid Cutler and the Lions paid Stafford and the Ravens paid Flacco. There was all this talk about QB contracts and, oh, man, the $18 million and guaranteed money per season and how long were you committed to them? And those were the guys who all got paid and who the team really hitched their wagon to. It was, a, it was real money. Multiple years of guarantees. Around the same time, the Bengals paid Andy Dalton and the Dolphins paid Ryan Tannehill second contracts, but it was that funny money. It was... Yeah, we're going to pay you, but really this is just a year-to-year commitment and it's a series of one-year deals where us as the team can get out for relatively minimal cap hit at any given time. And that I could see Tennessee or Tampa doing with Jameis or Mariota at the end of this year. Because a lot of teams still employ an old school. It's the devil we know versus the devil we don't. And they don't want to start at rock bottom and start at zero. So say it's the Titans and they say, okay, we're going to give Marcus Mariota a three-year, $63 million deal. So it's $21 million a year. Jacoby Brissett just got 15 You know, Russell Wilson got 32-33. So we're splitting the difference. We're making him a low-end starting quarterback. But of a three-year, $63 million deal, maybe 26 is guaranteed. So the first year... And then a little something, something on the back end that if you've got to pay it out, it's no big deal because the salary cap is approaching 200 million and growing 9% every year. So 
could you do that and buy yourself another year of Mariota and then draft a QB this offseason and have Mariota there until your young QB is ready to play? And depending on where you draft him, that should either be week one or it depends who the guy is, right? Again, Deshaun Watson ready to play sooner than Mitch Trubisky for a recent example. Daniel Jones clearly willing, uh, ready to play earlier than Haskins, for an example. Or if you take a QB in the second round, we were just talking about Drew Locke. You play him later. So each situation is a little bit different, but the overarching point remains the same, which is quite simply there are different versions of paying your quarterback. The Eagles paid Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz, it's 2019. He will be the Eagles quarterback, barring catastrophic injury, in 2024. The Rams paid Goff. Same thing. The Seahawks paid Russell Wilson. Same thing. If Tennessee or Tampa pays Jameis or Marcus Mariota this year, they will not be guaranteed to be their quarterback in 2024, and they probably won't be guaranteed to be their quarterback even in 2021. So there are there are different versions of paying quarterback second contracts. For the purposes of this discussion, obviously we've been talking about the real contracts. You want to find out if you're willing to give your guy a real second contract ASAP. We already know Houston will be trying to pay Deshaun Watson at the end of this year. Casey will be trying to pay Pat Mahomes at the end of this year because it's the first time they possibly can negotiate. The Bears and Trubisky, the other first-rounder from that class, it's looking more and more likely that they'll say, eh, we'll kick it down to the fourth year. Let's see how it goes. And that's because two of the three teams have their guy, and the other one, as of now, quite simply, doesn't. What's at stake in the Monday night game, and last but not least, still to come, it's the Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Danny Parkin Show. I was going over the standings during the break and I was trying to figure out who can we cross off? Like who's already done CBS sports radio's toll free line is eight, five, five, two, one, two, four, two, two, seven. It's brought to you by Geico. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico, go to Geico.com. And in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance, Denver, Pittsburgh, Cincy, Miami, the jets, and maybe Washington tomorrow night, uh, would all be Owen three. We'll hold off on Washington because we don't know how that Bears game is going to go. We can cross off Miami. They're historically incompetent. We can cross off the Jets. They've got two 3-0 teams in their division, and their quarterback has the kissing disease. We can cross off Denver because with the Chiefs in their division, best-case scenario is a wild card. Chargers are way more talented uh, than they are, even though they're one and two. Denver is not going to be a playoff team this year. Cincy, I see nothing that is redeeming about their football team. I'll cross them off as well. The only reason I will not completely cross off Pittsburgh is because of overall organizational health, and I think Cleveland might really be bad and underperform this year. And so if that leaves Cleveland and Cincy out of that division, you've already got Tennessee and Jacksonville at one and two. You've got the Chargers, the Raiders, and the Broncos at one and two or 0 and three. 
Dolphins and Jets at 0-3. You, you've got enough bad teams in the AFC that I will leave the slimmest of possibilities open. I expect Pittsburgh to beat Cincy next week, which would put Pittsburgh at 1-3 and and Cincy at 0-4. So I'll, I'm going to cross off Denver, Cincy, Miami, and the Jets, and Washington if they lose tomorrow night as five teams that have no hope. 3-0 and teams are now the Rams, Chiefs, Packers, Cowboys, Patriots, Bills, and Niners. Patriots are in the playoffs. Chiefs are in the playoffs. And the Rams have not looked that impressive. So I'm not going to put them 100% in the playoffs, given that the Niners in that division are also 3-0 and Seattle's only a game back. But the Rams are probably the next closest. I think that Dallas is a virtual lock because of their division. But I still think that something about Dallas doesn't sit right to me. And I think it's just strictly quality of opponent. The Giants, Washington, Miami. Let's see what Dallas is after at New Orleans, home against Green Bay. They're probably a playoff lock because the rest of that division looks really bad but I'm not quite there yet. The NFC North is a gauntlet. The Lions should be 3-0. They're 2-0-1 with that ridiculous tie to Arizona in week one. The Vikings are 2-1 with a loss to the Packers, but have outscored their opponents by 31 points through three games with a loss. They have looked dominant in wins. And the Packers... Their offense is nowhere near clicking. They still have some Aaron Rodgers magic from time to time, like that uh, 40-plus-yard touchdown that he had to Scantling today. But their defense is fantastic. They've only allowed 35 points this year, which is the second best in the NFC. Only team better, also in that division, the Chicago Bears, but obviously the Bears haven't played their third game yet. Patriots have allowed an absurd 17 points. So for teams that have played three games, the Packers have the second, the best defense in the NFC and the second best in the NFL behind New England. We'll see what Chicago gives up tomorrow night. By the way, if you don't know the name Jair Alexander, get to know him. That guy is going to be an all-pro cornerback soon. He is incredible for Green Bay. He had a one-man turnover today where he just ripped the ball out of uh, the Bronco receiver hands. Just number 23, corner, plays on an island, super physical, out of Louisville. I remember watching him in the uh, Lamar Jackson-Deshaun Watson game. He got Deshaun Watson. on one. He is a, he is a special, tough, do-everything cornerback. I think the Packers have an absolute star there. And their their defense is just upgraded significantly with Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, and they still have Kenny Clark in the middle. They got the young players in the secondary, Kevin King opposite, like I said, Jair Alexander. They upgraded with Adrian Amos uh, in the secondary. It's just a – that is a solid defense, and I assume their offense will continue to get better as they work in Matt LaFleur's system. But uh, – The NFC East looks like it's Dallas's. The NFC South 
feels like it's New Orleans's early on, but obviously the Breeze injury brings a few things into question, but they were pretty impressive today. A little fluky uh, at times. Alvin Kamara doing some one-man show stuff, special teams, defensive score, that sort of thing. But it was, uh, I think New Orleans is good there. And then the NFC West, I like the Rams, but that's still to be determined. And I know it's only three out of 16 that were down, but that NFC North is going to be a grind of a division. As for the AFC, Bills have the inside track for a wild card. Patriots for the one seed. Chiefs competing with them for a first-round bye and home field advantage throughout the AFC playoffs. Loved Baltimore before the year. Nothing I've seen makes me want to change that. And the AFC South is, I think, not anybody's division because I'd be shocked if Tennessee got it. But I still think the fighting Minshews could come back and they could rally around him, especially if they don't trade Jalen Ramsey. They can have kind of an us-against-the-world mentality. The Colts organization looks to be ridiculously strong. And then the Texans have a magician as their quarterback in Deshaun Watson. So obviously still plenty to be determined. But it's crazy that, you know, Monday night, basically an elimination game for the Bears, given how tough that division is shaping up to be. A couple teams got eliminated today, falling to 0-3. Every week in the NFL, you can cross out one, two, three more teams in terms of legitimate contention because that's how thin the margin for error is. We'll get to last but not least coming up. This is the Danny Parkin Show. With time running out, we still have a few questions we didn't get answers to. Danny Parkins gives us his thoughts on a couple of different stories in this week's edition of Last But Not Least. So much to get to, so little time. Thank you for hanging out with the Danny Parkins Show, CBS Sports Radio, radio.com sports. Follow me on Twitter at Danny Parkins. Ryan Hickey is the executive producer around here, does a fantastic job. We end the show with him asking me questions. Ryan, what's first? Ryan, what do you got? All right. So, Danny, first we'll start with some baseball as your Cubs have been struggling. They just were swept at home by the Cardinals, and with that four-game sweep, Cardinals clinched themselves at least a postseason berth. Cubbies have now lost six games in a row, and in the wild card race, slipped to four games behind the Brewers with just six games remaining. So, in essence, just what happened to your Cubbies? They stink. Big group of underachievers, man. It is going to look really, 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 really different around here next year. And just, just to illustrate how historic it was, how they went out from the Elias Sports Bureau, the Cubs, the second team in baseball history to be swept in a four-game series at home, losing each game by one run. The last time it happened was 100 years ago when it happened to the Red Sox at Fenway. And that's just any time getting swept in a four-game series at home, losing each by one run. To have it happen to your rival Cardinals, to be eliminated from the division at Wrigley in late September was just, it would have been gut-wrenching if Cubs fans still had any optimism that this season was going to be special. They still technically can be a wild-card team. It's over. 
Chris Bryant got hurt. Rizzo got hurt playing through it. Baez got hurt is playing through it. Craig Kimbrell got hurt and stinks. He gave up two home runs on two pitches in one of the losses to the Cardinals. They just never got on a roll after May. It was just it's just a group that sputtered down the stretch last year and they kept living off of 2016 and it's by the way it's the greatest era of Cubs baseball in the history of their franchise. Five straight winning seasons, four straight playoff trips, three trips to the NLCS, a pennant and a World Series ending a 108-year drought. It's been a remarkable stretch of Cubs baseball. Next year, I would guess Ben Zobrist is gone. That's your World Series MVP. Cole Hamels is gone. That's $20 million. Brandon Morrow's gone. That was, you know, $13, 14000000 million per season. But then beyond that, it's not just the contracts that expire. I think they'll entertain trading Chris Bryant. If they don't think he's going to re-sign in two years, that's a former MVP and about a five-war player. I could see them trading Chris Bryant. If they don't think Scott Boris will sign him to a deal, I could see them trading back-to-back all-star and 25-plus home run power catcher Wilson Contreras, even though he's the heart of the team. Catchers don't age very well, but it's a tough position to fill. I could see them looking to sell high on him. I can't see them trading Baez. I can't see them trading Rizzo. Lester is probably untradeable. Hayward is still probably untradeable. But Almora, Russell, Hap, Schwarber, it's all in play, man. It uh, Theo Epstein is here through 2021, which is when the almost entirety of that World Series core is signed through, and that's not a mistake. They thought that they were going to be hanging multiple banners by now. And uh, still a great run, but, oh, and Joe Madden's going to be gone. Winningest manager in Cubs history since 1906. He'll be gone too. My guess is Joe Madden goes to Philly or San Diego. But it's going to look real different around here. And there's no way, other way to put it. They have more resources than every other team in the division by far. They have more talent than every other team in the division by far. And they just colossally underperformed. So expect big changes for the Cubs. What's next? All right, moving on. There are a few big-time matchups in college football over the weekend. You had Wisconsin just absolutely stomping out Michigan. Georgia squeezed by Notre Dame between the hedges. And you had five other teams in the top 25 that were upset by unranked teams. So anything in particular stick out to you this college football weekend? Two things. One, Georgia should have beat Notre Dame by 20. I'm not at all convinced that Notre Dame has closed the gap with the tier one teams. Now, that doesn't mean that Notre Dame isn't good. And that doesn't mean that Notre Dame isn't an awesome football program. But Georgia came out throwing. They should have come out running. Notre Dame's first touchdown came when Georgia muffed a punt at their own eight-yard line, and then they got a defensive penalty in the end zone, and it took them six tries to get in. And the guy who ended up catching the touchdown pass on fourth and goal, he wasn't even the intended target. So their first touchdown was very fluky. Kirby Smart up 10 late, fourth and inches, seven minutes left. 
Notre Dame territory, kicks a field goal to go up 13, keeping Notre Dame's hopes alive. Instead of just falling forward, going behind your all-world offensive line, keeping the ball for another couple minutes, eventually putting it in to go up 17, or even if you kick the field goal, you don't let Notre Dame come down and score that garbage time touchdown at the end. So I think Clemson and Bama are in a tier by themselves. And then I think Georgia and LSU and Oklahoma are in a second tier. And then I think Notre Dame and Ohio State are at the top of tier three with a bunch of teams. So that was number one. Nice game from Notre Dame, but I don't believe they are as close to Georgia, who is a tier two team as that score indicated. Second thing. Yo, I don't know what Michigan fans want out of their program, but it's not titles because Jim Harbaugh is not bringing you a title, period. And neither did Bo Schembechler, right? Like, if you ask, like, what Bo, you know, it's, it's tough to win a title there. So you've got to think long and hard about what you want to be. If you want to be, be a nine-win program that every five years sneaks up and beats Ohio State and maybe is in playoff conversation and can maybe be in a Rose Bowl once every four or five years, cool. But you should have higher expectations than that. Jim Harbaugh doesn't beat ranked teams on the road. Not teams ranked higher than him, just ranked teams. I think he's like one in six. It's embarrassing. So I don't know what the answer is, but if I was a Michigan fan or a booster or an alum, I'd be having a long, hard, you know, reflective period of, okay, is this good enough? Or are we just protecting this guy because he's a Michigan man? Because they still don't have a quarterback. They still can't win shootouts. They still haven't brought entertaining football to Ann Arbor. And they're getting embarrassed and blown off the line of scrimmage by Wisconsin consistently. They got punked in that game. So if this is all you want to be, which is a tier three college football program, all right, cool. But I think you want to be more than that. And if you want to be more than that, Jim Harbaugh has been there five years. He's supposed to be much better than this by now. So those are my top two takeaways. What's next? And we'll finish with a little NBA is on Friday. The Board of Governors passed some new rules and regulations regarding tampering and how to try to prevent it. Part of those new regulations and rules, fines up to $10 million, loss of draft picks, executives possibly could be suspended, and contracts could be voided if tampering is found to have happened. Also, teams must save conversations with agents for one calendar year, and there'll be random auditing of teams' communications with agents and teams at the NBA's discretion. So the way NBA is trying to tackle and prevent uh, tampering, is this a big story to you? Yup. Huge. Now, they got to be careful because you don't want to be, you don't want this to be Roger Goodell personal conduct policy 2.0. And by that, I mean an overreach of power. You can't be tapping cell phones because... They'll just hide it. Different phones, Slack channels, other means of communication. You're not the NSA. You don't have subpoena power. You can't be checking phones. So 
just a general rule of thumb. You don't want your boss to have the right to check your phone. Unless you work for the government, it's not necessary. So it's not that serious. But what what these rules and suggestions and bylaws and all of this conversation, what it tells me is the NBA is furious about how last year went. They're furious about the Anthony Davis situation, and they're furious about the Kawhi situation, and to a lesser extent, the Paul George situation. Because it was a horrible secret that Kawhi was going to the Clippers. You had Clippers executives going to Raptors games that the Clippers weren't playing in. So what do you do about it? And is it a bad thing? I think the second question is easier to answer than the first. Because I think while a lot of us love player empowerment, and I do, and a lot of us love player movement and the frenzy that is July 1st, and I do, I can acknowledge that this gets messy and there are some teams that will never be able to compete. What do you do about it is much trickier. I think this is a lot of huffing and puffing by the commissioner's office. I will be surprised if they can enforce a lot of this going forward. But that report told me the NBA was furious about how last offseason went. It'll be interesting to see if it changes going forward. Thank you to Ryan Hickey, my executive producer, Peter Schwartz on the updates. Bob Stoops and Joe Theismann were the guests on the show today. Thank you to Matt and Brian for getting us on the air. My name is Danny Parkins. Amy Lawrence coming up next. This is the Danny Parkins Show, CBS Sports Radio. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.